we're going to cover the test of discouragement. Anybody ever been discouraged? Some of you are there right now. <clears throat> and, um, but I know that, that this is where all of us, because I can't even tell you how many times this has happened. And it will continue to happen. And that's what you need to know as a, as a Christian. This is one of the tests that you will experience over and over and over. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. It's the story of one of God's mighty men who found himself discouraged. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. And um, this is really, you know, a, an opportunity for each of you to... Um, I hope that you've been coming for every week. We've just been, you know, building and building and building. But this is the time for you to bring your Bible, bring your notepad, take notes, and go back over them because these tests are tests that you will experience again and again and again. I've been uh, doing this for 38 years, serving God, and I will tell you, I have been through all of these tests and some more than others. And this one, I've been through a lot. So... <clears throat> doesn't know what's going to come. The discouragement test, 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And it reads like this. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Anybody ever prayed that? No, don't answer that. <laughs> I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. <clears throat> then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. For the journey ahead or the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. That must have been some heavy food, huh? For 40 days and 40 nights. <clears throat> there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Ever feel like that? I'm the only one. I'm just all by myself. That's how Elijah felt. Turn around and tell somebody, today is your day to get encouraged. <clears throat> go ahead and have a seat. This is a story 
of God's man who was discouraged and how he was able to get out of it. Discouragement is defined as the act of being disheartened or being deprived of courage. When your courage is taken out, you become discouraged. That which decreases or destroys courage. Anything that takes your confidence away will bring discouragement. And at some point in every single one of our lives, we will face discouragement. In moments of discouragement, even Shakespeare thought that he was not a poet. Raphael, in his moments of discouragement, thought that he would never be able to paint a picture that people would like. When we're discouraged, we tend to look on all the negative, that the whole world is against us, the whole world is coming to an end. And then we, we get so discouraged, and then we get defeated, and then sometimes we let the discouragement take us all the way to depression. In the New Testament, discouragement was tra- translated as the word to faint or to grow weary. That's why in 2 Corinthians 4.1, it says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, or we don't get discouraged because we have this ministry. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says, For this cause we faint not, or we don't get discouraged, because though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, there are many causes for discouragement, and I want to talk to you about four of them tonight. The first cause of discouragement (coughs) is fear. What is fear? Fear is the expectation or the apprehension of danger. It's coming. If you ever remember uh, Lost in Space, the robot, what did he say? Danger, danger. Nobody knew what was coming except the robot. And that's kind of what fear does to us. Fear lets us know there's danger coming. We don't know where, where it's coming from. We don't know how it's going to come, but we know it's coming. And just the anticipation of danger causes us to fear. The Bible says in Psalm 53, 5, and this is a definition of fear. It says, terror will grip them. Terror like they've never known before. God will scatter the bones of your enemies. You will put them to shame for God has rejected them. That's terror. That is fear. Have you ever been so gripped by fear that you are just paralyzed? Paralyzed because you can't move. Anybody ever, you know, you've been walking and somebody hides behind the door. And then you come out and you're just like you know, scared. I remember I did that to my uncle. I was really, really young. <clears throat> I must have been about, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And, and I hid behind the door. And, uh, and, I, and I scared him. And the first thing he did was he grabbed my neck. And I was like, <coughs> and he goes, don't scare me. I, I, I attack. Like, oh, there are some people who get scared and they get paralyzed. And there are some people that get scared and they attack. But the Bible talks about the kind of fear 
that produces weakness. It talks about the kind of fear that produces discouragement. In the, the Good News Bible, it, it reads like this in, in Zephaniah 3.16, the time is coming when they will say to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not let your hands hang limp. When we are afraid, we do not do anything. When we are in fear, you know, I was just uh, on the way over here, we were talking to uh, another woman who is in charge of a ministry, and she has found herself in the capacity of an a, of a administration that she doesn't know what to do. And so she started sharing some questions, and in the questions, there was nothing but fear. When we don't know what to do, when we're afraid to make a mistake, when we're afraid to know which way we should turn, then we just stand still. We don't do anything. We get so afraid, we just stay limp. Our hands don't do anything. We don't put our hands to the plow. We're not walking forward. We're not walking backward. We're not doing anything because we're afraid of making a mistake. There is terror in our lives. <clears throat> and in Habakkuk, it says, he says in 3.16, when I heard this message, I felt weak from fear and my lips quivered. Ever been that afraid when you get that scared? My bones seemed to melt, and I stumbled around. That's fear. And that is the kind of fear that the enemy will use in our life, where he will make us so afraid of something that we don't even know, something that it's approaching danger. We don't know if it's coming. Somebody says, oh, pink slips are going out. And immediately... You begin to start thinking, oh, it's me. I, I know I'm going to get fired. What am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to make my car payment. I'm not going to be able to pay my kids' school. I'm not going to be able to. And you begin to start tripping over just the mention of a pink slip. And you already have yourself there. And you start getting, you know, anxiety. And you start ha hyperventilating. And you start going through all of these changes. Or the, they send you a letter in the mail. <clears throat> It says, we've been reevaluating uh, your status, and, and now you don't qualify. And oh, my gosh, you begin to start, fear begins to grip you. You begin to be like, like the scripture says right here. You feel weak from fear. Your lips begin to quiver. You begin to start breaking down just the possibility of something happening to you. That's what the enemy uses in your life to discourage you. The possibility of something happening, the possibility that your child may not be doing right, the possibility that your spouse may not be doing something right, the possibility, and you begin to start letting this fear come over your life. Fear will paralyze us into not doing anything. Job 32.6 says, I am young and you are old, so I was afraid to tell you what I think. There are spouses who are afraid to communicate with their other spouse. They're afraid to tell them what they really think. They're afraid. And if you have fear in your marriage, that is not of God. If you are afraid to tell your spouse the truth, that is not of God. 
you need to be able to be honest and be truthful with your spouse because fear is of the enemy. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but he's given you the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And you need to be honest, and you cannot let fear dominate your life. The second thing that, uh, the second cause for discouragement is fatigue. How many of you came in tired today? At least you're honest. <clears throat> When you're tired, Nehemiah 4.10 says this. Meanwhile, the people of Judah were singing a sorrowful song. So much rubble for us to haul. Worn out and weary, will we ever finish this wall? This like they're singing a tune. Oh, man, are we ever going to do it? We ever going to finish this building? Are we ever going to do this? And some of you have projects how many of you have told your spouse, how long has this thing been here? Three years? You haven't done anything with it? Throw it out. And you're like, no, no, I'm going to get to it. One day I'm going to get to it. One day I'm going to finish that. You have a half a craft, half a birdhouse, half a, you know, doghouse, half a something. One day you're going to get to it. One day. <clears throat> Fatigue. You just, you get tired of it. There are times that we all fear tired. We all fear war feel worn out. And sometimes we just need to rest. Sometimes we need to sleep. And that will help us and it will restore our strength. But we get tired when the job that we have to do is greater than our ability to do it. For instance, if you have to go out and, and you have to do a job, but you don't have enough resources. You don't have enough things in order for you to do it. You get tired. You're like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. It gets too tiring. And it affects us physically. It affects us emotionally. It affects us mentally. And it affects us spiritually. And what I'm talking about are those people who are just giving out, like, in our journey groups now, we ask every journey group leader to just do two journey groups and then sit on the third one. And we do that for a reason, because we want them to rest. You have to give out, you have to give out, and then there's a time when you have to receive. Everybody has to be on the receiving end. You can't always be giving out. When you're always giving out, and this happens to moms, and it happens to dads, and it happens to anybody who's in a position of always having to give, then you feel like, I'm just too tired. You don't want to hear anybody. Have you ever, as a mom, sometimes you don't even want to hear the word mom. You know, I remember when my kids were growing up, and I was tired. I was just tired. And they would say, mom, 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 mom. And I would just pretend like I didn't hear him. Mom, mom. And I go, I changed my name. Well, what is it? I'm not telling you. <laughs> I just didn't want to hear. I was tired. And sometimes we all get like that. We just get tired. And when that happens, is that we, it happens when we have no strength. We don't have anything inside of us. And that's why it's important. You need to take time <clears throat> for yourself. But don't take too much time, because when you take too much time, then you get lazy. 
So you have to be balanced, balanced. The third reason for discouragement is frustration. Frustration to break nothing. Nothing is broken in your life. Pastor Eddie spoke on breaking, breaking through on Sunday. And he spoke an awesome message. <clears throat> but when we don't have a breakthrough in our life, then we get frustrated. And that will cause us to become discouraged. In Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it reads like this. Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. This went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. He was trying to come against the work. And what he did is he frustrated them. He kept putting up a wall after a wall after a wall. And sometimes when you have a lot of walls that you have to overcome, you get so frustrated that you just like get discouraged, like forget it, just forget it. And you just get discouraged and then, then you, that's where the, the, uh, the feeble hands, like they just go limp. You just don't want to do it anymore. And, but the local residents here in Ezra, they were purposely trying to discourage and frighten the people. In Isaiah 19, 3, the enemy says, I am going to frustrate the plans of the Egyptians and destroy their morale. Purposely, the enemy will try to frustrate your plans. Purposely, he will try to steal your morale. And if you get frustrated enough and if you get discouraged enough, you know what the next step is? I'll see you later. I, I'm out. I, I'm going to go somewhere else. That's what happens when we get discouraged. <clears throat> I love this scripture in, in 12, Hebrews 12, 3, where it says, Think about Jesus who endured opposition from sinners so that you don't get tired and give up. Think about what he had to endure, what he had to come up against. And sinners were coming against him. It wasn't other Christians. Sinners were coming against him. And he did not give up. And he says, think about him so that you don't get tired and you don't give up. Because when we get frustrated, you know what we do? We make dumb decisions. Oh, my gosh, do we make dumb decisions. We get frustrated and we're just like, you know what, I'm out. Or forget it. Or you're out. And, and spouses, they get frustrated with each other and they say dumb things to each other. Dumb things. They do dumb things. Kids, they get frustrated with their parents and then they say like, I don't like you or I don't love you or I wish you were never my mother or dumb things. All over frustration. I, I was, I'm saying that because I, I heard, I was talking to my girlfriend and I could hear her, her granddaughter, two years old. You're not my friend. <laughs> and I, I said, what did she say? She goes, oh, she picked that up from TV. You're not my friend. I just thought that was funny, but she was frustrated. And in her frustration, that was what she said. You're not my friend. But that's what happens when we get frustrated. We just do dumb things. We say dumb things. 
And the last reason, the fourth reason, I'm sorry, my voice is getting, by the time I finish, I'm really going to be deep. Um, the fourth reason uh, of a cause for discouragement is when we feel abandoned. If anybody's ever felt abandoned before, there is that feeling of frustration. The, the scripture is in Matthew 27, 46, where it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabbatakni, which means, My God, my God, why have you deserted me? Why did you desert me? That's how Jesus felt. He felt that his own father had deserted him. When we feel abandoned, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, social, we react in discouragement. When somebody, you know, doesn't invite us somewhere, they invited everybody else and they didn't invite you. How discouraged do you get? When everybody knows about the party. Oh, you didn't know? Oh, we had such a good time. You should have been there. When everybody gets a personal invitation, except you. <clears throat> All of those things make us, they bring up these issues of abandonment. The issues of when we were younger, of when we weren't included. And those feelings of discouragement can cause us to react. There are people in the Bible who know exactly what it feels like to be abandoned. Remember the, the life of Joseph? How much more abandoned can you feel? Your own brothers throw you in the hole and say, catch you later. And then they're going to lie about you. When David was being pursued by Saul, wanting to be killed for something he didn't even do, Paul was being tortured and stoned and lied about and taken into court and flogged and whipped, shipwrecked, everything. Talk about feeling deserted. The Christians deserted him. They didn't want nothing to do with him. Just because you go through this forsaken time, the feelings of abandonment, do not allow yourself to become so discouraged that you walk away from God. You just, you can't. I mean, I, I, I can tell you, and I'll, I'll, I'll get more into this. I just can't even tell you how many times discouragement will make you want to walk away. Walk away from your commitments to the Lord, to your spouse, to your children, to your job, to everything. But you cannot let discouragement overwhelm you to that point where you just walk away. You just can't. <clears throat> Last week, we talked about failure, and even failure will get you to that point where you want to just get so discouraged because failure makes you feel like, you know what, I don't do anything right. Everything I do is wrong. Nothing is ever good enough. And when you feel like you're a failure, you feel like you just want to give up. And I want to challenge you today, don't give up. So why do we have to go through this discouragement test? There's five reasons why we have to go through it. We have to go through this test. You cannot bypass this test. You cannot say, I wasn't in class when you taught this. You have to go through this test, okay? 
the number one reason why you have to go through this discouragement test is because you have to learn to find joy in God and not just in circumstances. You have to learn to find joy in God. When everything is going great and it's all wonderful and you've got money in the bank and your car is running nice and your kids are acting great and your spouse is loving you and oh my gosh, everything is great and you're happy and you have joy. But when your car breaks down and you don't get paid and your spouse is not liking you and your kids are not liking you and nothing's working out, then what? You still have to learn how to find your joy in God. You will go through these times of discouragement. You will go through those times when you get up in the morning and you have no toothpaste. Get up in the morning, oh, man, I forgot to buy toothpaste. And you're like this all day. Oh, okay, hello. <laughs> you forgot to put gas in the car. You forgot to buy milk and the kids are crying for cereal. All those little things will cause you to get discouraged. You have to find your joy in God. The second reason why you need to go through this discouragement test is to let you know that you don't have it all together. It is not all about you. You need God and you need people. Sometimes we want to operate like we don't need anybody. That we can function without, well, you know, I really don't need that one. Oh, that one I really don't need. God, that one, you know what, just keep them all away from me. Me and you, God, just me and you. And God will allow your discouragement test to show you, you not only need him, but you need everybody else. I was talking to uh, some people the other day, and, and, uh, and they were saying, what would you do without us? And I said, I need you, because you grow me. You grow me. I need to grow. I need every single one of you because you grow me. And hopefully I'm growing you too because we're, we're, we're in this together. We're supposed to grow each other. And sometimes we grow each other through the word and sometimes we grow each other sharpening each other. That's when it gets hard. But we sharpen each other and that's how we grow. So we, we need to go through the discouragement test to make sure that we know it's not all about us. <clears throat> the third reason why we have to go through the discouragement test is so that our motives can come out. The motives of whether this, what we're doing, is really for God's glory or our own glory. Sometimes when we get discouraged, you know it's because we didn't get all the glory. Sometimes everybody decorates, and the person who did all the decorating doesn't get the pat on the back, but the person who came in at the last minute and decorated one table. He said, oh, you did such a good job in all of these. Well, thank you. And the other person who did them all was, is standing there like, man, I did all the job. And you want to tell everybody, I did it. So you just get all discouraged because nobody patted you on the back, but they patted the other person on the back. Or you want to take the credit for all the meal and how it tasted. Or you want to take the credit for the way that the worship is doing or you want to take the credit for something else your motives will be revealed whether it's for your own glory self-glory or for the glory of God and that's why the discouragement test when somebody else gets your glory how are you going to act 
When somebody else steals your glory, how are you going to act? That's why you need to go through the discouragement test. Number four, <clears throat> we go through it so that we can allow opportunity for other people to minister. Because it's not only about us. It's not about, sometimes we need to step aside. And there are many of us who have the same giftings, many people who can do the same things. And sometimes we need to step aside and let somebody else come and let them be able to use their giftings. Let them be able to shine. So we need to allow opportunity for other people. And the fifth reason why we have to go through the discouragement test is that God has to teach us how to wait. How to wait. We hate to wait. Oh, my gosh. We hate to wait. And waiting is what renews our strength. Waiting is what gets us on, the, on, on an understanding with the Lord. The Hebrew word for wait is kava, which means to bind together by twisting. And that's exactly what we're doing when we're waiting. We're binding and we're twisting. But while we're twisting, is whatever it is that we're twisting is we're making it more secure. And so that when the answer comes in, we're so strong because we've waited for it. We didn't go looking for it. We didn't get it our own way. We didn't seek it. We didn't grab it. We waited for it. We waited for it. And when we wait, that's when the strength comes. That's when we're able to be wound up in him and bound in him. That's why it says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength because they're going to get wound up all in him. So how do we deal with discouragement? <clears throat> Number one, you have to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Take personal responsibility. Sometimes we get discouraged and we're just sitting there. You know what we do when we get discouraged? You know what our, one of our favorite things to do is? Watch TV. We just, we can waste a whole day watching TV. What did you watch? Maury, Oprah, Dr. Phil. Uh, who else is on? Oh, I don't know. Those are the only three I, I know of. But you can waste a whole day. You're in discouragement, and it, you don't know how to get out of it, so you just kind of waste your whole day just clicking from one to another. Or you watch Lifetime movies. You just stay in Lifetime the whole day watching one movie after another movie after another movie. That's only for women. Okay. <clears throat> you don't know how to encourage yourself in the Lord. You, know how to, you don't know how to get yourself out. You don't know how to take personal responsibility for yourself. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 36 that David was greatly, greatly discouraged because the people talked of stoning him. Because of the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his son and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. How do you encourage yourself in the Lord? When you are discouraged, if you have to wait for somebody to call you, if you have to wait for somebody to go down your house, then you're, you're not knowing how to do it. You know what you have to do? You have to crack open your word. 
crack it open. Some, some, you know what? I'm going to tell you the honest truth. Right now, I'm on a TV fast. When I found myself watching like four hours of TV, I'm like, oh, no, this is way too much. I don't have time to waste. Four hours? And it just happened that quick because I DVR my, my favorite shows. I, I, I don't have time for all that junk on TV. So I just DVR certain shows, and I watched four shows, and there went four hours. And I was like, I can't be doing this. This is great. So now I'm on a fast because I want to stay encouraged in the Lord. You know what will discourage me? Sitting there for four hours watching the dummy TV. And it'll do that to anybody. Those of you women who stay home all day, don't be turning on the TV. Turn on your worship music. Open up your word. Get into reading the, a book. Do something that will grow you. Learn how to encourage yourself because if you don't learn how to do that, the first thing that happens is when your husband walks in, you're like, Rawr! and why are you like that? Because you've been watching dumb Maury and dumb Oprah and dumb Dr. Phil all day. Because none of that is building your spirit. None of that is helping you to be encouraged in the Lord. You're, you're, you're messing your life up. You're not encouraging yourself in the Lord. So when you're greatly discouraged, you got to do what David did. You got to get yourself into his word. You got to fill yourself up. And how do you do that? You got to read the promises of God. Oh my gosh, there's 8,000 promises. 8,000. You need to write them and post them up. Post them in the kitchen. Post them in the bathroom. Post them on the mirror. Post them wherever you go by and begin to read the promises of God. I have promises on my refrigerator. I have promises on my makeup table. I have promises on my computer. Everywhere that I go, I have a promise. I have them in my, in my room. I have promises. Those are the things that I hold on to. And you have to hold on to them. That's how you encourage yourself in the Lord. Another way that you can learn how to be able to deal with your discouragement is you have to learn how to listen for the voice of God. <clears throat> Some of us don't know what God's voice sounds like because we've never stopped long enough to hear it. There's a lot of different ways that God speaks to us. Bible says in 1 Kings, there, the whole story of, of how there were a lot of different things that Elijah was looking for. It says, after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God speaks in earthquakes. God speaks through the fire. God speaks through discouragement. And God speaks through a gentle whisper. God will use your children. God will use your boss. God will use your spouse. God will use that unknown, unsaved person. He will use anything and everybody to be able to get a message to you. Do not think, who does that person think they are? God sent them to you. God sent them to you. 
Do not push aside someone who is bringing God's word to you. It'll come in the big things and it'll come in the little things. <clears throat> it'll come in the earthquakes of your life and it'll come in the small, still voices of your life. Another way to defeat discouragement is to make church attendance a priority. And I know that for some of you, you, you know, you pushed yourself and you got here. And other times you're like, you know what? I'm just too tired. I am exhausted. So what do you do? Let's just sit in front of the TV. Let's relax. And so instead of making the effort and the sacrifice to build your soul, you're already on low. And then you watch TV and then you come to church on Sunday. So man, by the time you come to church, you're like really low. And sometimes it's really hard because then Sunday comes and you're like, you know what? I'm too tired. Stood up too late watching movies last night. And then the pillow monster gets you. You have to make church attendance a priority. That's why Hebrews 10.25, don't forsake the assembling of yourself. Or in a better version, it says some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship. But we must not do that. We should keep encouraging each other especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. You know, <clears throat> Pastor Chucky and I and Chica, we, we had a long lunch today, and that was one of the things that we were talking about. We were talking about how quickly God is coming. And so he, he was just asking me questions like, you know, what, what do you think? Do you think that that the Christians are going to, you know, uh, are we going to go through any more testings? Are we going to, you know, we were talking about churches who have hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of people in their church, but they're not all committed. And he says, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, I believe, this is my own personal belief, that before the Lord comes back for a holy and spotless church, we're going to go through some testings. And that's why I'm sharing these things with you, because these are the testings we're going to go through. Some of you are going to go through your failure test. Some of you are going to go through the wilderness. Some of you are going to go through your motives. Some of you are going to go through this discouragement. But there's going to be the testings of the church. Will you make it through, or will you just like blase and say, oh, well? Because I'm going to let you know something. That 666 number that the Bible talks about, oh, my gosh. It is like so, it's this close. It's this close to coming. It's that close. And you know why it's that close? Because people are fed up with their identity getting stolen. People are getting fed up with people stealing their identity and buying homes and buying cars. They have no control. So you know what will have control? If I put a mark on me, nobody else can duplicate my mark. And people are going to go for it because they're tired of identity theft. You won't have to present your ID anymore. You won't have to worry about losing it. You won't have to worry about somebody stealing it and you getting stuck in a country and not having any ID because it'll be written on you. That is how the enemy is gonna come in. And that's why we're so close to coming back. That's why you have to stay in the habit of coming to church and hearing the word of God. 
That's why you have to be able to flush out the world that comes into our lives every day because we're that close to the enemy coming in. We're going to be that close. I don't know if the test is going to be, will you take the mark or not? I don't know. But I do know this. The church is going to start getting shaken more and more and more. And what is going to be sifted out is going to be pure and it's going to be holy. That's what's going to be left. God is coming for a church that is pure and holy, not playing games, not goofing off, not surfing on the world and and holiness, but being holy. He says he's not coming for a church that, that is goofing off. He's coming for a church that is holy, holy. That's why we really need to put him first in our lives. One of the other ways that <clears throat> we can deal with discouragement is that when we never forget the power of prayer. We can't ever forget the power of prayer. Sometimes we don't pray all week. The only time we pray is when we pray here together. I want to challenge you, those of you who don't have prayer as a regular habit, spend five minutes, just five minutes when you get up in the morning. You may not be a morning person. doesn't matter if you're a morning person or not. Five minutes. Now, those of you who regularly pray, you pray. But if you don't pray, you haven't gotten into the habit, five minutes. Time yourself. Because you're thinking, well, what if I'm late? Time yourself. Put it on a clock. Five minutes. And then just get in there for five minutes and begin to learn to pray. Never forget the power of prayer. See, people that God can use in a tremendous way are those that never give up. When you get discouraged, don't give up. Don't allow yourself to stay discouraged. People who do not let themselves stay discouraged are diligent, are persistent, they're determined, they hang on. That's why Paul says, I press on. I press on. I don't give up. Galatians 6, 9, don't get weary in well-doing, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't get discouraged and give up. The Bible has a lot of examples of guys who had tremendous promise, but they got discouraged and they gave up. Paul talks about Demas in 2 Timothy. He says, He's forsaken me, having loved this present world. He started off right, but then he started to love all the things of the world, and now he's not with me anymore. John Mark started out right. He was going with Paul and Barnabas. They got into a big fight, and then later on, John Mark got back. He was right. He was rebellious. He was disobedient. He wanted to do things his way, and Paul said no. And so John Mark went his way. Paul went his way, and later on, John Mark got it right, and he came back. And then Paul says, send me Mark, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. He got back on the right road. God uses people who don't give up. God uses people who are persistent. D.L. Moody said this. He says, I've never known God to use a discouraged person. 
D.L. Moody was one of the great evangelists in the early 1900s. I've never known God to use a discouraged person. How could he use a discouraged person to do great things? If you're always negative, if you're always looking down, if you're always seeing things the wrong way, how could God use you to be an encouragement? How could God use you to be his example? How could God use you to bring people to know him if you're discouraged? When you're being discouraged, it's because actually the bottom line, you're choosing to be discouraged. Because you're looking at the problem rather than at the Lord. You don't determine a person's greatness by his talent or by his wealth. What determines a person's greatness is what discourages him. What discourages you? When somebody doesn't like you, when you get criticized, when you don't have money in the bank, when you don't have gas in your car, what discourages you? God will never put more on you than he will put in you to bear it. So sometimes you just got to trust yourself that God has it all under control. He's put enough inside of you. You can do this. See, Paul's secret was that nothing could discourage Paul. I mean, if you read Paul's life, he was shipwrecked, he was flogged, he was beaten, he was stoned, he, everything. Nothing discouraged this man. Everybody was out to kill him and nothing, I mean, I actually have to say, that would discourage me. If they said, don't walk into the city because everybody there hates you, I would, what would you say? Okay. And you go somewhere else. He goes, no way. I'm going into that city. I don't care. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to share the love of Jesus. I don't care if they don't like me or not. They're going to love my Jesus. They're going to be transformed by the gospel. God uses people who are persistent. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed or broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We are knocked down, but we get up again and we keep on going. He keep on going. You keep on keeping on. What does it take to discourage you? Does it take a criticism? If somebody says, I don't like what you're wearing today. I don't like how you did that. You didn't do a good job. You know, I read a study that said that the average pastor leaves a church because of five people. Five people. Five people who may not like the pastor or like what they're doing. And so they say, you know what? I'm leaving. If I left for five people, I would have left a long time ago. Long time ago. What I've had to pray is that, Lord, give me a tough skin and a tender heart. Because you got to have both. If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be a minister, if you're going to be chosen by God to be a ministry overseer, then you're going to have to have tough skin and a tender heart. It's hard to keep the balance, but you're going to have to need it. You have to have both.
You got to take the criticism. You got to take the cuts. You got to take the bruises. And then you got to get up. I have bruises on my knees learning how to skateboard. Bruises on my legs and scars on my legs. Um, doing uh, the cars. What do you call those? Um, Go-karts. Now, just because I fell the first time from skateboarding, did that make me stay off of it? No. If you fell off a bike, did you stay off a bike? No. You got up and you did it again. I fell off a horse when I was learning how to ride. Did that keep me off a horse? No, I got right back on again. And that same kind of persistence that you and I have had from the things of the past are the same things that we need to have in our spiritual walk. That just because we fell off, just because we burned uh, our, our knee, we skinned our knee, just because we got cut, we got scraped, just we got criticized, just all of those things that happened, get up. Get back on the horse, get back on the bike, get back on the skateboard, get back on whatever it is that you fell off of, and do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Because God says, I'm looking for persistent people, Christians who won't let circumstances or other people get them down. The only thing that will get them down is prayer. Get them down to their knees. Thomas Edison once said, genius is 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. You want to serve God? You want to make it for the long haul? You want to be here in five years and 10 years and 20 years? You're going to have to get past this discouragement test. Because even in your discouragement, I need to remind you, God hasn't forgotten you. Even in your discouragement, you have a ministry to fulfill. Even in your discouragement, the giftings that you have are still going to radiate God's glory. All of us are going to face discouragement. But it's how we deal with discouragement that will mean if we're going to be here in five years or ten years or not. Stand with me tonight.